1: this weekend, don't miss a moment in the world of sport. Wherever you are around the country, we've got you covered. This is SENZ.
2: It's just gone three o'clock here on SENZ. Your Sunday afternoon with Ricardo Ball through till 4.30. And then we cross over to live basketball coverage from the NBL. It is the Sydney Kings at home against the Cairns Taipans. That series tied at one apiece. It's when it takes all and gets to the finals uh, this afternoon. And then from six o'clock, it is our very own New Zealand Breakers up against the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. Same deal there. A tied up series when it gets to go to the final. And uh, we'll... uh, Preview some of that a little later on on the show as well because there's uh, plenty to talk about. Mike Fitchett's going to come on and uh, chat that with us. Also, Chris Milicic is going to join us too uh, to talk about a football. There's plenty of football going on at the moment. The Wellington Phoenix, of course. The Football Ferns, uh, boy, they, they need a, a tune-up, don't they? And, of course, uh, the Premier League as well. And uh, there's also cricket, uh, and cricket is... Yeah, interesting. Not going as well as you'd have hoped. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, in, in fact, um, should we do that now? Uh, Robbie is uh, in the producer's seat, and um, it's been pretty ugly. It's been a pretty <laughs> ugly test, and the second innings is even uh, even
3: uglier. Yeah, well, <laughs> I've got it here, Ricardo. It's not It's not great viewing. Um, we're, we're not all out. Mm, okay. That's about all I can say. Okay. Um Yeah, 105 for nine. Uh, Daryl Mitchell is still at the crease on 36. He's just smacked a six, actually. Uh, And Tickner's hit two fours, batting 11. But, uh, yeah, needing uh, Quick Maths 288, I think, to win, it's not looking great.
2: So you're not saying it's definitely over?
3: Um Not yet, <laughs> not yet, not yet. Yeah, I mean, it it might we might be on the cards for the highest uh, tenth wicket partnership in cricketing history, but you know,
2: yeah, could happen. It Could happen. It could be Coney and Chatfield all over again. Could um, be. Uh, now, uh, looking at it, I mean, there was I know there's been a bit of a chatter. I, to be honest, didn't watch any of it uh, last night, um, but been a bit of a chatter about the pink ball uh, being a bit of a joke because it changes the game so much halfway through the day. Um, was that part of the reason that Broad went boom, boom, boom and balled, clean bowled four of our, our batsmen?
3: Yeah, I mean the pink ball under lights has been pretty crazy, um, but it's it's also just been a quality of bowling difference, in all honesty, because we we bowled at them under lights once, yeah, and. The same thing didn't happen. No, that's true. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's definitely assistance there. But, yeah, some of those balls that Broad was bowling, um, yeah, to bowl top out four of our top batsmen, um, yeah, was was pretty insane.
2: Yeah, very, uh, I think pretty insane is that understatement of the year. Broad, uh, his uh, figures, uh, 11 overs, 4 for 29. It's not yeah. bad, is it?
3: Not bad at all. Not
2: bad at all. Um, having a look at the New Zealand batting card, uh, Tom Latham, bold broad, 15. Devon Conway, bold broad, 2. Caden Williamson, bold broad, duck. Henry Nichols, bold Robinson, caught folks, 7. Uh, Daryl Mitchell still there, 36, not out. Tom Blundell, bold broad, 1. Michael Bracewell, bold Leech, caught brook, 25. Scott Kugelheim, LBW to Anderson for 2. Tim Southey, Caught root, bold Anderson, first ball duck. Uh, apparently, that wasn't a flash shot from the from the skipper.
3: No, not <laughs> at all. Um,
4: you
2: talk us through that.
3: Yeah, it was. It was basically just a kind of slash. Like he could have left it. It was a shortish ball, and he just kind of poked at it. And it just went to slip off the off his first ball was was not flash, especially with with Michael Bracewell going the ball before, and that was just a sort of flick that went to just looped up to mid wicket for the easiest catch you'll ever see. Not so, exactly uh, a
2: captain's knock. <laughs> No, not, no. Not when you need him. Uh, then uh, Neil Wagner did, did wag a bit. He stuck around for 22 balls. He put one over the rope, but went out for nine, uh, caught behind off Jimmy Anderson. So currently Blair Tickner is at the crease on eight off seven with two fours. Uh, and Darren Mitchell there, 36 off 76. Two fours, two sixes. 105 for nine is the score at the moment. Still uh, New Zealand needing 285 uh, to win the test with uh, one wicket in hand. So you pretty much write that off. And... Um, Things, though, uh, Robbie, did get slightly better for our White Ferns. I mean, they've been pretty ordinary at this at this World Cup, but they, they finally got a win. Uh, they got the best to Bangladesh.
3: Yeah, no, it hasn't been great for our White Ferns. Um, but, you know, that's, that's T20 cricket every now and then. Um, and, uh, yeah, just the performances haven't really been up to standard. Um, but Australia specifically uh, were just much better than us. Um, South Africa, I think it was a bit more down to our lapse of performances. Um, but yeah, Australia, just their batting in particular just, um, just looked... Too good.
2: Yeah, I mean the Aussies are, uh, are cleaning everybody up. Uh, I mean they chased down. South Africa set them a decent total of one twenty five, and they chased it down uh, with six wickets in hand and three and a half overs to spare. So uh, they've been doing it comfortably. I tell you, probably the the biggest thing from a New Zealand point of view is you know it's the batting has been really disappointing. I mean losing to South Africa is bad enough, but losing the way that they lost to South Africa um, really does stink. And uh, one of our uh, better players has, well, a lot of our good players have been struggling, but, you know, the one that you expect to stand up and maybe it's the pressure. Uh, Sophie Devine has really uh, not had a great World Cup either. Um, I mean, both here and Susie Bates first ball ducks against Australia. Uh, then Susie Bates got a second ball duck against South Africa Sophie Devine dropped down the order at about 5 and scored 16 off 26 so not really what was needed either and then Sophie Devine got a first ball duck uh, in the game against the uh, the Bangladeshi so I mean she's really really struggling and she's our best player
3: Yeah I don't really know what's happening there to be honest um, I know she she did have um, was it a foot injury or something before the tournament um mm-hmm. that yeah almost ruled her out? Um, so yeah, I don't know if um if that might still be kind of lingering but um but yeah it's 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 not going too great for her. I also, also thought it was um very interesting that um that they put uh, Bernie Berza note up to open. Um, with Georgia Plummer coming in at three. You know, two quite ex, uh, inexperienced players mm. with uh, yeah Sophie Devine and Maddie Green batting five and six, who are much more experienced. You know, I thought if, if there wasn't uh, an injury um, part of that decision, it didn't really make much sense to me.
2: No, actually, Maddie Green spoke after the Bangladesh uh, uh, match uh, that, uh, that the White Ferns won. Let's hear from her, uh, speaking particularly about how uh, it felt to bounce back after that tough loss to South Africa
4: Yeah look I think we've got a great group with us and you know obviously everyone was really disappointed uh, with our first two performances but that's kind of T20 cricket sometimes and you know it's trying to not to get too up or down with um, results and you know, we obviously, as I said, we're disappointed, but um, we knew that there was sort of one way to play in this this last game against Bangladesh, so that's what we tried to do. And, you know, I thought um, the way that we came out with the bat at the top of the order with Bernie and Susie, they were really impressive and sort of set the tone for the rest of the game.
2: Yeah, and she was also, Maddie uh, Green, asked about what it felt like to finally get a win under the belt.
4: Yeah, obviously um, winning is a much nicer feeling. Um, you know, I thought that the way the girls played yesterday, you know, we just try to talk about playing a positive brand of cricket and, leaving it all out there so um, yeah really pleased with the performance yesterday and you know we're looking to continue that me- momentum into tomorrow.
2: Susie Bates um, as I mentioned she had a first ball duck in, the, in game one against Aussie a second ball duck against South Africa uh, in game two but she really fired against Bangladesh scoring 81 not out and Maddie Green was pretty pleased to see that.
4: Yeah Susie's been hitting the ball so well um, you know and I think she's got incredibly high standards so she you know was naturally disappointed with her first two performances but look at the same time you know we know how destructive she has been for such a long period of time and um, she's such a great player and has been probably the best player for New Zealand over such a long period of time so really pleasing for her to see her performance today uh, the way that she paced her innings I thought was perfect and you know she really set the platform for us um, with the bat to, to put on a big total when You know, as her teammates, you know, we're just really happy to see her succeeding. She's such a great teammate. So, you know, we're all really pleased for her.
2: Maddie Green was also uh, pretty pretty good with a bat in her hand against Bangladesh, uh, scoring forty four off twenty balls, which was great uh, because you know just uh, really elevated the run rate. And she reflected on her own performance and and being able to do that, do that job of of making the run rate tick over towards the end of the innings.
4: Yeah, look, obviously pleasing to get some runs, and then really enjoyed batting with Susie out in the middle. And as I said, I think you know the way that Bernie and Susie um, played at the top of the order, and they really set the platform for us to be able to bat in that sort of way. So. For me, you know, it was just sort of coming out and we'd spoken about on the sideline trying to get at least one, 180. So for me, it was just, um, you know, that it, there was sort of only one way to play and try to be aggressive and, and thankfully got a few away. So yeah, it was really nice betting out there with Batesy and, and, you know, also watching her from the other end, um, you know, take over some milestones too.
2: So one more match for the White Ferns at this World Cup. Um, They really need other results to go their way. If they're going to get out of the pool, chances are that will not happen, but they'll be looking to finish the uh, tournament on a high. Uh, Is is that game tonight against Sri Lanka? Uh, Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. Yeah,
3: Yeah, tomorrow morning it'll be um, 6am. Pretty sure Sri Lanka, yeah, final game. uh, Need to, um, yeah, pretty much absolutely demolish them or, or... If South Africa could lose to Bangladesh, that would be great.
2: That would be good. Okay. Uh, And I can tell you, live update, uh, the Black Caps are still alive. 110 for nine now. Um, So Daryl Mitchell on 41. And that means uh, the Black Caps only need 284 more runs with one wicket in hand.
3: Or we bet for a draw. We could bet for a draw. How many days we got? This is day uh, this four. This is the start of day four. Start of so day four. So, yeah, um, yeah. I think if, if we're batting for a draw, we're probably just getting the runs by taking over it's singles it's, at that point.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, we'll keep you up to date with that uh, throughout the show. I can tell you the Warriors are in action as well. They are playing the Melbourne Storm in Christchurch at Orange Theory Stadium. Uh, this is their last trial game before the season proper starts. Uh, is that next weekend? No, the weekend after, isn't it? March the 2nd is the first game of the NRL season, so it's their last proper trial. Uh, 20 minutes in, it's still nil all in that game, and I'll tell you, there's been a lot of big games in the NRL, uh, including the Charity Shield, uh, which is the traditional game played pre-season season between the Rabbitohs and the Dragons, the Rabbitohs got up big time in that one, winning 42-24. Uh, to 24. In fact, I think they were up 40-6 to six at one point. Uh, so the Rabbitohs are looking in pretty good spirits and good form ahead of the season. The Eagles got up over the Knights, 36-14. Of course, the Warriors play the Knights in their first up game. So that is a good... Uh, a good sign, I guess you'd say, for the Warriors uh, that the Knights are getting tailed up like that. Uh, Seagulls beat the Roosters 28-16 as well. Uh, a bit of an upset. St. Helens um, out of the UK and the uh, Super League Challenge Cup. Uh, they beat the Panthers 13-12 with a golden point injury time drop goal. The Broncos got up over the Cowboys 20-18 as well. And uh, later on today, the Tigers play the Raiders and the Dogs play the Sharks and also the Dolphins play the Titans. So plenty of preseason action from the NRL for you. Also, uh, in the A-League, the Wellington Phoenix, who have had a few poor results back-to-back, bounce back, Uh, the defending champions are Western United and they got up 3-0 on Friday night over Western United and propelled themselves back up the table. Ufuk Tele, a happy man. He reflected on that 3-0 win.
0: Yeah, I think uh, it was a complete performance tonight. Uh, I thought we were very good with the ball. I think we broke them down very well. We played through the lines and created some good opportunities. And I thought defensively, uh, you know, we dealt with a few of their long balls that they try to play over the top. Uh, so overall, very happy, especially after the last two weeks uh, for the turnaround uh, and the performance tonight. So very pleased with the boys. Uh, he was also asked what they've done differently to
2: what they've done the last couple of weeks with they've thrown away leads.
0: Just the response and to be able to play through, uh, you know, get through the 90, 95 minutes because we've, uh, we've, we've dropped 20 points this season by taking the lead and it was very important that we, uh, you know, we, we, we push it all the way through. So we took the lead again and the boys continue that and we scored a couple more and I thought we could have scored a couple more as well so it could have been, uh, you know, a bit more of a difference. So, but overall, like I said, very pleased with uh, how they responded and the way that the boys played.
2: He's also asked about uh, what he thinks of his side and some of the chances that they've missed in previous weeks.
0: Yeah, look, I believe we've got a good side. We've got some very good attributes within the team and uh, it's, it's one of those things this season where we, we've gone up and we haven't held the lead and we've, we've allowed teams to, to come back in and, and tonight we definitely didn't do that. Uh, like I said, I think uh, we kept going and we found the second goal and then uh, we got an opportunity with a penalty and we scored. Uh, we scored uh, our first penalty this season. We already missed uh, four previously to that so I'm glad that uh, Oscar scored and he stepped up again and, and it was clinical. And finally,
2: Ufuk was asked to what they need to do going forward, looking headed to the playoffs.
0: Yeah, look, it's very important for us if we want to achieve what we want to achieve and, and make the top six and even push to make the top four, that we need to be consistent every week and, and play, play like this every week. Uh, you know, we can't be up and down. Uh, it's very important that we, when we do play, we need to play the way that we play tonight and continue on the run.
2: There you go, Ufuk Tale speaking after that 3 0 win for the Wellington Phoenix against the defending champion Western United on Friday night. This is Sunday afternoons on SENZ. Ricardo Ball with you. When we come back, Chris Milicic will join us. It's 19 past 3 here on SENZ Sunday afternoon. I can tell you the Warriors have just gone ahead against uh, the Melbourne Storm in that trial match. 6 0 it is. Now, Dalin wateni Zelezniak scored the most unlikely try. Warriors had a scrum on about their 30. Sean Johnson got the ball out of the scrum and just basically he was the first runner and he went right by the scrum and threw the standoff at halfback and then and then ran about 60 metres under the post unchallenged. uh but Yeah, I don't know if that says uh, much about Melbourne Storm's defence or more the fact that it's a trial. But there you go, 6-0 to the Warriors, 27 minutes gone. Uh, time to talk football now and uh, joining me is Chris Milicic to do just that. The uh, coach at uh, Takapuna, former New Zealand under-20s coach as well. G'day, Chris. How are you doing?
1: Good, Ricardo. Yourself?
2: Yeah, good, mate. Good and uh, good to see the Phoenix back to winning ways because they've had a habit of playing good football, scoring goals, getting ahead in games, and then um, throwing it away.
1: Yeah, look, it was good to see them uh, get a result. Uh, you know, the last five games, they've lost two and drawn one and won two, so it's, it's pretty erratic, and I'm sure they're going to want to go over the next sort of nine-odd games to the end of the season to get a run of really positive results as they push to make the top six.
2: Yeah I mean the, the whole league has been a bit erratic to be honest isn't it Chris if you look at it and you look at the way the table is I mean that 3-0 win uh, for the Phoenix has them currently sitting in 5th place on 24 points um, I mean the bottom of the league's only 8 points further back and the top of the league's 10 points up so it's actually quite a congested league and everybody bar Melbourne City at the top have lost at least 4 games.
5: Yeah, look,
1: it is a really congested table and, you know, nine games, 27 points to play for. Even Western United, who are currently sitting 12th in the competition, uh, could easily push themselves into the top six um, with a with a run of really, really good positive results. And nobody's actually sitting there saying, look, we're going to win the five, six, seven or eight games in a row at this stage. There's so many wins, losses, draws and everybody's sort of record that it's going to be very, very difficult to pick who's going to be in the top six and which sort of position they're going to be in. And even Melbourne City, I'm not 100% sure that they'll they'll be in the top six, obviously. I'm not sure that they, they can win it because they should win it. Uh, but there are times when you just look at the, even their results in the last five, they've had two draws and a loss. So not even they are really humming along with plenty of wins and plenty of three-point results.
2: Yeah, I mean, there is some correlation to last season, isn't there? Because Melbourne City was were, were cruising at the top of the table and then got to the end of the season and lost the grand final against Western United. So they have got form for doing that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, the weird thing about the A League, which is one of the very few leagues apart from the, probably the one in the MLS, etc., it has a playoff system. So really, winning the league doesn't seem to gain you any benefits apart from you get some home home semi-finals and you miss games, etc. But it's no guarantee you're going to win it. And a team that comes, you know, sixth and suddenly get a raft of wins, uh, sure, it's more difficult for them. But there is just as much ability to win as uh, as a team that comes first in the league. So. Um, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see what Melbourne City do over the next sort of period, um, whether they sort of rest a few players, take a couple of losses, and then kick themselves so they get real momentum heading into the playoffs so that they can actually go through and win the grand final. Surely they want to win the grand final, uh, whereas teams that are sort of chasing them. I mean, I look at the table right now, and Wellington Phoenix are playing Central Coast Mariners next up, and if they win that, um, they would be on the equal points, and the goal difference would probably allow the Wellington Phoenix to... Uh, get closer and closer to where Central Coast could easily find themselves sitting in third if if they beat Central Coast Mariners.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a tight league, all right, mate, tight league. Hey, uh, no A-League, Liberty A-League this weekend. Um, There is a uh, women's international window, and that means the football Ferns have been in action, and there's about five of the Phoenix women's team in that Ferns side. Um, I think, you know, against the U.S., the top team in the world who won the last two World Cups, you can forgive a couple of uh, reasonably one-sided losses. But when you're at home against a team in Portugal who are only two places different to you in the standings, you can't be losing 5-0. That was ugly, mate, and it doesn't uh, bode well for the World Cup.
1: No, we've probably got two, maybe three proper games left before the World Cup kicks off in June. And currently at the moment, there's no clear playing model. There's no clear... uh, ability in possession. Their marking defensively seems to be lacking understanding, and they're really a team that uh, looks a bit rudderless and leadership or directionless is probably a better word. Uh, But then again, the football ferns, no matter how many Olympics have been to and World Cups again, they don't exactly win a lot of those games. And unfortunately, I feel the women's game worldwide is actually walking and running away from where the football ferns are currently placed. And so maybe that is a true indication of where the football ferns are in relation to some of the the better nations around the world as they take women's football more and more seriously.
2: Yeah, I mean, you look at that team, I know you're on the outside looking in, but I mean, what would be the first thing that you would do as a coach with that team on the on, on the you know, on the practice field?
1: Pretty much make them very clear what their roles and responsibility in defensive positioning around the around the f- the field, especially in around the defensive third. Uh, when you've got opposition players tucking away balls with nobody within three to four metres of them, there's obviously a miscommunication or a misunderstanding of how and when and why you've got to be there. So there was a simple goal, I think it might have been the fifth goal against Portugal, that, uh, you know, we got caught in possession, Girl, a woman goes down the line, she crosses the ball and the player on the far side just runs in and taps it in and the player tracking back is nowhere near her. And so my question is then, well, whose role and responsibility was it? Who's going to get there? And when should they be moving? So it's, maybe it's not a coaching issue. Maybe it's an understanding issue. But to suddenly go to a back three and then say you want to have a new style of playing or a new system, well, you've got to do a tremendous amount of work on the defending side, especially in around your box. Because at international level, if you make one mistake, it's a goal. Um, and we've got to keep goal games really tight. So to do that, you've got to defend first. And the one thing about when you learn how to defend properly within a system, you actually have the ability to have a platform for you to attack. At the moment, the possession seems a little off the cuff, but it's off the cuff because there's no real defensive structure in there that says, right, when we win the ball, these players are here and this is how we're going to use the ball to play our way out of these areas to become far more dangerous in attack. Um, we New Zealand can't open themselves up and think we're just going to outplay teams when a lot of the teams are physically and uh, tactically better than we are. Well, I'll tell you an example. We were I was lucky enough to go to Barcelona recently and I saw the women's uh, facility there that they've got the Barcelona. Uh, there's four perfectly manicured fields, there's a gym right back to it and we watched one of the Barcelona players obviously coming back from an injury and her movement and what they were making her do, she was flowing. And the one thing from me as a coach, if you see a team and players are flowing, they have an ability to keep the ball, they move the ball and everything goes smoother. Um, I'm not sure that the New Zealand players we've got are currently in those environments, which is developing them physically to the same level. So we've got to actually be smarter and make sure that we're clearer and really buried down into the nuances of a system and I'm not sure just chucking a system out of the blue in an international game uh, is going to work without what we saw the other day, a 5-0 uh, loss
2: Yeah, now when Yitka Klimkova took over I thought I noticed a different, a, a change from the football ferns, I thought they tried to play a more attacking uh, type of game than they had done under say Tom Somani, they looked to get forward a bit more and, uh, the signs I thought were positive when she took over but it seems to have sort Of gone backwards in the maybe in the last six months or so, and I know you know there's been the talk about whether Abby Ursic is going to be available or not. Um, Rhea Percival hasn't been around because she's been recovering from an injury and she's one of our better players as well. I mean, what do you put that down to? Ultimately, it stops with the coach, doesn't it?
1: Yes, and no, but I believe that the football firms have not been reinvigorated over the last four to six years with new young players coming through. A lot of these players have been involved with the ball teams for a considerable period of time. Uh, There's been no refreshing of the player base as such. They've tried at times. Some players are obviously getting well past uh, their useful playing date and they're still there. They want to go to a home World Cup. Completely understand, agree to that. So probably coaches over the last four to six years have not done the correct thing by continually replacing players within the environment. It is becoming more and more difficult in the international sense. You know, you look at contracts for players, and they're kind of there. They're trying to be part of the setup to remove them and to bring younger players in. Is, and all teams are starting to struggle with this. And, and uh, seems to be mainly into the the um, the female playing spectre where teams are struggling to refresh the teams as players see it as their opportunity to. Uh, get a living and start to move forward. So there's still the same principles of continuing to refresh your team is really important. Alex Ferguson is probably one of the greatest managers ever. Um, Every year, continually renew his team and his coaching team. So he never let staleness and he never let players just rest on their lull. As soon as you are getting close to your use-by date, you were sold. I think that sort of mentality has to come through, especially in the international game, where we've got more and more young players uh, going into decent environments. And let's not forget ourselves, uh, you know, a few years ago we had a team that came third in the world with probably what I consider one of the world-class goalkeepers in an under-17 level, and she's not playing. I know there's all sorts of injuries and all sorts of things, but there was that opportunity. So now we're going to a World Cup in, you know, five, six months, and girls that could have got anything, maybe up to 20 internationals now, are still sitting there with one, twos, and threes. So uh, it's been a long-term issue of the refreshment of the team, and keeping up to date with the huge and enormous explosion of women's football around the world where serious coaches, serious sports scientists and serious development of individual players is taking place and we are probably doing nothing close so they're actually inching in some cases and exploding away from us in other areas.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one because I mean I you know have talked uh, to several players, to several coaches as well about uh, the situation at the Ferns in terms of goalkeeping stocks, and I mean at the moment, on paper at least, it looks pretty good. Anna Elite has been going really well at Aston Villa in the WSL. Uh, you've Vic Essen up at Glasgow Rangers. Aaron Naylor is obviously the experienced keeper who's been around for a long, long time. You've got Lily Elfeld who's had injury problems this year but had a great season uh, with the Phoenix last year, and Bree Edwards is coming through as well. I mean, the fact that the, the first two I mentioned the Vic Yesen and An elite aren't here this close to a World Cup is troubling, isn't it? Because, I mean, how are they supposed to have that understanding, that defensive understanding? It almost makes Erin Naylor the number one by proxy.
1: Yeah, and look, the reality, a goalkeeper at international level is stop goals. You know, when you concede conceding fives and fours and, uh, you know, what well, we had with that... A five, three 5-0s five and a 4-0, I mean, that's, a, that's 19 goals in four games. Uh, somebody's not doing their job. And the reality is, for the goalkeeper, stop the ball going in the back of the net. And some of the goals that are going in are, should be stoppable. And someone's got to be responsible for that. as a goalkeeper coach who's coming in. But the reality is we're going to go to a World Cup with lacking experience in, in just the goalkeeper section where some players, some of the younger ones, should be getting played in this position. In my opinion. I mean, I'm not involved with the team, so it's difficult to see. But from the outside, um, I think, you know, some of the incumbent goalkeepers that have been in uh, football firms for the last four years have made the same mistake continually and are still
6: playing.
2: Mm, yeah, yeah, no, fear on that. All right, let's leave that there and talk uh, Premier League, mate, because uh, a few big games in the Premier League, a few big storylines to follow this morning. Uh, Aston Villa, uh, they really tested Arsenal this morning. Put uh, They led twice in that game before they ended up losing 4-2 to two goals in injury time. Uh, is the blip done then for Arsenal? They took one from their last nine points available. Uh, do you think they're over that hiccup
1: now? Difficult to tell, but when you see the emotion when the third goal went in, I mean, it's been cracked off the post, it's come down, hit Martinez in the head, and it's gone in, and then they scored the fourth goal. And the emotion and the degree of almost uh, relief that you were seeing from the players this morning, my feeling was, ooh, they want this. They really want this. It's gone from maybe we can, maybe we can't, to they really want it. And I think they're, they're now aware They're in a dogfight with Man City right to the end. Uh, Man City then going to drop points this morning at Nottingham Forest in a pretty lacklustre performance. And so, and Arsenal still got a game in hand. So if they win that game and hit, they go back to five points. So I think there's a belief in Arsenal, whether they can do it or not. uh, (laughs) Hard call. Man City are not exactly setting the world on fire, but that sense I got this morning watching that, I was quite surprised to see that type of, emotion about winning a game against a team that they should win quite comfortably so yeah I I got a sense that we're going to see something pretty cool and special over the next few months
2: yeah well Arsenal's next half a dozen fixtures in the Premier League are Leicester away Everton at home Bournemouth at home Fulham away Palace at home Leeds at home so that's not a bad run is it to bounce back from a blip
1: It's not bad, but also what I love about this part of the the Premier League is the teams that are at the bottom are now tightening up and saying, well, we're just not going to concede goals. And so the teams that want to beat them now have really got to do a job. And, yeah, I think it's going to – that's probably – it could be easier. They could have a whole bunch more mid-table teams, but they've got some teams that are sitting down the bottom. So that's going to be tough for them. Arsenal are going to have to show their mettle. But with what they did this morning, I think they could probably pick up maybe 75 80% wins in those games.
2: Chris Wood scored four of Nottingham Forest off the bench to get the one all draw against Man City, who butchered a bunch of chances. City have now dropped fifteen points away from home in the Premier League this season. It's very unpep like, isn't it?
1: Very, very much so. And and it would be difficult to put your finger on why that's happening. I, I often wonder whether the fair play might be kicking into some degree, uh, but some of the chances they're missing are are just so unlike them, you know, and you've got Erling Harling saying, oh, I'd like to go away with it. That's true or not, whether he doesn't want to be there. Um, they do not strike me as a team that's really, I don't know, They—they they I think they still think they're just going to win it whereas the, the point of the matter for them is I think they've got to go back to the basics and just start putting chances away. And they used to have a situation, Man City in particular, under Pep, where they were always looking for the spare man to finish chances. Now there's a few boys in that team that are trying to take people on and get shots away, and they've stopped going for, in and around the 80 metre box, or they just keep passing, passing, until someone gets a chance, and it's just a simple tuck away. So there's probably changes there that need to occur. Uh, but, yeah... There's something
2: not quite right there at the moment. Yeah, there is. Um, and well, one of those things I think, you know, you, you mentioned it, players taking players on. It doesn't feel like Erling Haaland or Jack Grealish are particularly pep-type signings. I wonder if they, they have the director of football or the whoever runs the club that's just gone, you know what, I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm playing fantasy football here. Um, and the other one that was really uh, was a head-scratcher for me, João Cancelo has probably been the best fullback in the Premier League um, over the last couple of years. And they let him go to Bayern Munich halfway through the season. Sounds like he must have had a falling out with Pep. But when you've got a kid coming through who's untested on one side and Kyle Walker who's nearly 33 on the other side, it's a head-scratching decision.
1: Well, it's head-scratching because it doesn't show any future proofing or any sort of future development of where they are. So the question I would have, is Pep getting ready to walk? Um, Uh Or is the football director in charge of some of these signings and he's decided what's going to happen, because I was I was very confused as to why they, they signed Grealish, I mean, I would have thought they would have signed Madison from Leicester before they signed Grealish, but they signed Grealish, and he is doing okay, he's scoring goals, he's quite effective, but he's looking to cut in the whole time and shoot from that left-hand side, um, whereas Rio Mar- Mar is on the other side is still trying to play people in, so I wonder, because, I mean, Foden's generally quite a decent footballer at coming through and finishing, they don't there are times when they give the opposition, even today you saw it, they not give, the, give the opposition time to go, phew, they've missed that, we've got a chance. Phew, they've missed that, we've got a chance. And uh, and they're giving them, They're making themselves susceptible to what happened this morning, which is a goal late in the game, it's a one-all draw, and then they can't win the game. Uh, teams can't continually try to win the game in the last five, six minutes in desperation, whereas before, Man City would just outplay all over the park, and might be two or three up at a time, and that's becoming less consistent than what it was.
2: Uh, Finally, Chris, before I let you go, mate, um, Chelsea, nil, Southampton, one. Um, Southampton were the bottom club in the the Premier League, or they still are, actually. Uh, But Graham Potter, um, things aren't going particularly well for him. And, you know, you look at the amount of money that has been spent. um, I think, uh, what are we talking here? I've won just... Uh, two of their last fourteen games, they've lost to Southampton and they've lost to uh, Dortmund. They've uh, they've scored one goal. They've got no wins in their last four games. They currently sit tenth in the uh, in the Premier League, and he's got a win percentage of just twenty nine point four one. How long has he got? Do you reckon? Oh,
1: who knows? It could be tomorrow. It could be the end of the season. It depends how harsh or how hard the American owner wants to be. Um, I think that Chelsea is suffering from two things. They've got a new owner. Uh, the new owner would obviously be trying to put his plans and, and movements that he wants to see from a player recruitment in place. Uh, Graham Potter's come in. I personally, I always thought Potts came in too early. Um, he was doing really, really well, and I thought he should have stayed there. Uh, but I'm not sure that anybody could turn down a massive club with a massive offer. When I look at him on the sideline, he looks. Fairly, uh, fairly stressed, <laughs> to be honest. When you see the pictures, when he first walked in, he was, you know, he looked quite bouncy and he looked really sort of fresh faced. And now he's looking haggard. And it's a job that I think that for many people, it's just a little bit beyond what you can do from an emotional point of view. Um, but I'm, you know, no reason to feel sorry for him. If they fire him; they're going to have to pay him out, and they'll walk into a job tomorrow. Uh, he's a very, very good coach and a very, very good manager, and he's a really good guy. He was part of my A license course uh, when I did it in the UK in 2008, and I spent some time talking to him. Of course, he's a he's a top top person, and he'll bounce back. Um, but I wouldn't write him off yet. It depends. Giving them time, but like Arteta at Arsenal, if you give them enough time, they can implement their ideas. The players can get used to it. Well, you know, that changing room could be full of people that one don't believe should be should should be there, shouldn't be there, whatever, and all sorts of things need to happen. Um, they were starting a downward spiral before he walked in, clearly from people getting fired. And then you also can't ignore the fact that Southampton fired their coach last week and there's a new coach and they get the blip from having a new coach and everybody's trying to make the team again. So there's lots of things there, but he is—he could be a dead man walking at the moment, that's for sure. Yeah,
2: indeed. All right, Millie. Hey, listen, mate, thanks very much for your time. Go well and enjoy the rest of your AVO. eh? Thanks, Ricardo. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Uh, There we go. Chris Milicic there with us talking football. It's 20 away from four. It's a quarter to four here on your Sunday afternoon on SENZ. Ricardo Ball with you. And joining us now to talk NBL is uh, former Breakers assistant, Mike Fitchett. G'day, Mike. How are you? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too badly, mate. Not too badly. Um, uh, Big game uh, today, or two big games today, after the Taipans uh, got up over the Kings, mate. So uh, that one up in Cairns, obviously home-court advantage, and it's something that the Taipans have done well this year, isn't it, a- against the Kings, is they match up quite well defensively. I think twice they've kept them to under 80 points. Um, on Friday, they kept them to 82, won that, and they've set up this sudden-death game, which uh, we're going to see tip off at about five.
7: Yeah, so I'm looking forward to sitting down and um, catching it, even though it's a beautiful day down here in Nelson. I'll be in front of the TV, but... Um... I know uh, head coach Adam Ford of the of the Titans of Cairns came out and said last week that he built his team specifically to beat Sydney the front runners of the league, and he's obviously done a good job with that with long, rangy athletes, and it um, can cause a, a few issues for the Sydney guys, uh, and uh, obviously it help when Xavier Cooks went out with a with an ankle sprain sort of midway through the game, and um, but I think Ken's they were on top then anyway, but yeah, quarter side they, when they shoot the ball well. Um, very difficult to,
2: to make. Yeah, and having McCall back as well made a big difference because, I mean, he was touch and go for game one, um, but good to see him uh, back amongst because he's so important to what the Cairns Taipans do.
7: Yeah, he is. He's an interesting one because he's, he's, you know, one of a few guys on their roster that's a, what you'd say is a, probably a non-shooter. Um, they, do, they also have success when he's not there because they can just put five very good shooters out on the floor, but um, he does you know, stir their offense along and really active, gets his feet in the paint and gets kick-out shots for three-point shooters. Um, a very, very, very good defender as well. So having him back was a, was a big win for
2: them. Uh, they shoot well from distance too, don't they? So, I mean, they don't need to get, uh, to get under the basket to, to be scoring points because they're a very good three-point shooting team.
7: Yeah, and and that's always a risk. Um, when you put together a team, you, you put together a bunch of three point shooters and everyone says, you know, oh, playoff basketball slows down and you won't be able to get away with that in playoffs it becomes a grind and um, yeah, I think Keynes are gonna obviously gonna try and prove that wrong this afternoon. But it was, you know, super really satisfying from a with my tall blacks hat on, but um, seeing Sam Wardenburg come out the gate early um and bang in a couple of threes and get to the foul line and, and um, just show the versatility of his game. So um, really happy for him and, and what they're doing up in Kens.
2: Now, I know that this game is back in Sydney, but if Xavier Cooks doesn't play or you know is limited by that injury, um, how big a difference does that make?
7: Massive. massive. Um, you know, he's the MVP of the league. He's the best player in the league. I think him and Bryce Cotton are probably a, a step above all the other players in the league. And uh, to lose him huge issue um but it's one of those things we see in sport all the time right like you can cover you can cover for a guy for one game it's that second and third game that it it really starts to bite you so you know i'd expect to see um a little bit more out of suarez inside he avoided a, a suspension after a little bit of rough and tumble towards the end of the game so i would expect to see a little bit more out of him and then um Vasilovic as well, stepping up on the outside and and trying to take a little bit more of that scoring load. I'd I'd, I'd look to see those two guys kind of step up a little bit more. Uh,
2: which way are you are you leaning? What do you think is going to happen?
7: Well, uh, have we heard if Cook's in or out? Have we have we got a final? Because uh, that's probably it. If he's in, I, I think I'm, I'll back Sydney. If in the, and if he's out, I think I'll back uh, I'll back Ken. So. Pretty comfortable on the fence there. <laughs> Very comfortable on the fence. Let me let me
2: do a quick uh, search. Uh, uh, no, I don't I don't have anything uh, just yet, mate. Just yeah. yet. But as soon as I hear, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Uh, what, Thank you. Uh, what about the, the breakers up against the Jack Jumpers? I mean, everybody I talk to who knows more about basketball than me, which is just about everybody, um, suggested mm. that the breakers uh, should go to Tasmania and get it done in two. They didn't. Uh, but they did dominate, you know, the first half of the match, but kind of fell away in the second half.
7: Yeah, I, I mean, expecting a breakers team to, even a team this this boom and good uh, as the breakers are, to go over to to Tassie and just stroll out of there with a win was, yeah, I, I I wouldn't have been in that camp. They, the way Tasmania defends, you know, they, I, I love it. They defend the island, but um, the mentor but. The way they defend, they come out and they're super aggressive for 40 minutes and um, what was really impressive is often you can be aggressive for 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes of a game but then teams start picking you apart with quality offence. But um, Breakers couldn't get that done but I think that was mainly due to the, just the energy that the uh, ends, the Tasmania team played with um, getting out of their traps. They were hard showing, they were getting the ball out of Will McDowell White's hands around the halfway line but then sprinting back in rotations and the effort and energy they played with for 40 minutes was, was honestly, it was, it was fantastic to watch. So um, going to be really hard for them to do that again, um, to do that back-to-back games. But, you know, they've been there before. They did it last year to Melbourne United, and um, they won't have any fears. And saying that, I think I still I still certainly back the breakers to get it done on the home floor.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, they beat them by 20 points there only uh, a few days ago. I can tell you, mm. uh, Xavier Cooks is on the court for warm-ups ahead of Game 3. Uh, the league's MVP seems to be moving freely without issue.
0: Yeah,
7: uh, that probably tips it towards Sydney for me. Uh, He's just uh, such a quality player, and and I'm sure they'll be in front of sort of 15,000 in in Sydney there, so that also helps. It does help. So uh, what are you thinking? It's going to be a Kings Breakers uh, final then? Yeah, I think so. I think it'll go, you know, they showed they were the two best teams throughout the season, and um, that's that's the finals I... From a spectator perspective, I think that'll be the most exciting final series too. I think Sydney's been a, a notch above everyone else, but when the breakers are rolling, that's definitely a team with the depth and the quality at the top of the at the top of the roster as well to to really challenge Sydney. So I'm, I'm both because I want the New Zealand team in there, um, but also because I want to see, you know, the best possible series.
2: We're five away from four o'clock here on SE and Zeta can tell you it's all over um, at the Mount. 45 and a half overs is all it took England to knock the Black Caps over in their second innings. All out for 126. Uh, the only player that can really hold his head high uh, from that batting card is Daryl Mitchell who finished 57 not out. Uh, we'll talk to Garth Galloway about that and a few other things uh, to do with the world of cricket uh, shortly and... Uh, just on those uh, NBL matches because the NBL is, uh, semi-finals are just about done we've got two playoff games today I can tell you Cairns uh, outsiders at $2.90 against the Kings who are paying $1.37 that tips off at 5 o'clock we'll be crossing there live at 4.30 this afternoon It's just gone four o'clock here on SENZ. It is your Sunday afternoon. Uh, just uh, had a, an update, actually, from uh, the programming people. Uh, we're not going, actually, to the bar, uh, the basketball. We are going to the second test between Australia and India at 4.30. So we'll go and take that coverage. Of course, David Warner uh, out of that test. First time I can remember in a long time, if, if ever, that there's been a, 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 a concussion sub in a test match. I think it may have done once before, but David Warner uh, has been subbed out for Travis Head. In that, uh, in that game. Uh, joining us now to talk cricket uh, and I, I bet, you know, like most New Zealand cricket fans, you'd rather talk about David Waterman hit in the head than the, uh, uh, the England uh, New Zealand test uh, at the Bay Oval. Garth Galloway, how are you?
6: I'm well, I'm just, uh, just, um, you know, like everybody, I think slightly (laughs) uh, pinching myself and saying, is that game really over already? Yes,
2: yes. Uh, I mean, there's been a bit made of the pink ball and how much that did, particularly when Stuart Broad ripped through a top order of the second innings. But uh, as Robbie, uh, producer today, said to me, he said, well, they didn't seem to have too many problems when we were bowling at them sort of at the same time
6: the day before. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think um, there's a lot of things you've got to look at with this New Zealand side now. Uh, they're obviously lacking a lot of confidence. It really shows. Um, their record over the last 18 months or so has been poor, and and we're not seeing that slide being arrested. So uh, it, it, it's slightly worrying. I, I also thought, though, and, and the point that uh, your producer makes is an interesting one, but, but I think it comes back to team selections. I, I, I couldn't believe that Kugeline and Tickner were both picked for this test match in a pink ball match I could understand it a little bit more if you were going into a test at the Basin uh, where there might be a little bit more bounce. but they're not swing bowlers and you know, <laughs> uh, England have that, uh, they have Broad and Anderson who swing the ball prodigiously uh, New Zealand have Salvi Wagner doesn't swing the ball and then they bring in two other bowlers who are who are quite muscular and bowl at that sort of 140 k's an hour uh, both uh, obviously extremely inexperienced or unexperienced in test cricket, and they don't swing the ball. So I, I just I couldn't believe, really, that they picked both of those players. I also couldn't believe that Wagner opened with the new ball, um, you know, a player who who, do, who doesn't swing the ball. I, it, strange stuff for me.
2: Yeah, especially when they did bring Jacob Duffy in as well um, and then decided not to pick him.
6: Well, Duffy would have been my pick um, d- just for that reason that he swings it. Mm-hmm. I also think you've got to start considering... Um, a player like uh, you know Lister from Auckland, the left armour, who I think gives you um, some some good variety there and is able to swing the ball. I suppose they'll go into Wellington, and I suspect that. I, I mean, you know, the one thing about this New Zealand side is it's harder to get out of it. I think than it is in it. Um, and you know, once you're in, they're very loyal to you. Uh, they will bring Henry back in, and so they should for the Wellington Test. And that probably means, I would think, that Kugilane will go. I think they'll they'll keep Tickner. Um, I'm not sure, really. I mean, I think he and Kugilane bowled it's some quite good spells in this match. And fairness to them, but I don't think they're really Test class, you know, top class uh, Test bowlers. Uh, so you know, it, it's it, it's interesting. I look at the batting and think about uh, Nicholls, and and I'm scratching my head to work out why he's still there, really. Um, I think he's got to go for the Wellington Test. I can't see how that they can continue to play him. They need much more out of Latham and Williamson. Uh, you know, all the batting pressure seems to be on Conway, Blundell, and Mitchell, and those three have done extremely well in the last eighteen months or so. Uh, but Latham and, and Williamson struggling a little bit.
2: Yeah, Nichols is uh, an interesting one. I, I'm glad you brought him up because you know when he went uh, to the, the subcontinent on that tour, uh, I. Th- you know, I know there was a mix of tests and ODIs and things, but he only scored over his average once, I think, in about eight innings over there. And then he's gone for four and seven here at the mount. It um, seems very much the writing on the wall. I guess the question is what do you do? Um, do you keep Conway and Latham together at the top, or do you bring someone like Will Young in to open with Latham and, and, and put Conway at four?
6: Well, I think you have to, you either do that. Or you you, you replace Phillips with, uh, sorry, Henry with Phillips in the, in the middle order, you just make a straight swap and you leave Latham and Conway as they are. Um, uh, you know, and I, and I think I probably would favour that rather than mucking around with Latham and Conway at the top. Having said that, I mean the, the slightly more conservative option would be to do exactly what you're suggesting, and knowing the way that New Zealand, tend to be incredibly conservative, that might be what they plump for. Uh, I mean, if you look at, at Nichols, since he scored as 157 against Pakistan and Christchurch in January 2021, so two years ago, and that was a terrific innings. He's played 10 tests since then, and he's scored 505 runs at an average of 22. But since the Leeds test in June last year, he's averaging 13.6. Uh, You know, when we look at Latham's numbers, uh, since the South African tests at home in February last year, he scored 138 runs at 13 in games against England and New Zealand. And on the Pakistan series, he was magnificent. He scored 281 runs at 93. So the worrying thing is that in those New Zealand-type, England-type conditions, as I said, 138 runs uh, at 13. uh, And and that's that's of, of concern. And Williamson also... He scored well in Karachi against Pakistan as well, but in games against in the recent games in the UK and New Zealand, he scored 102 runs at 17. So, you know, I'm not suggesting for a moment that you make changes around Latham and Williamson. They're class players uh, with good records, but New Zealand need a lot more from them.
2: They do. It was interesting, actually. Ronnie heater I was uh, I follow him on Twitter and, and we get him on the show from time to time. He tweeted out only about an hour ago, not sure how many people will reply to this, but here goes, you're selecting a Black Caps eleven for the next test. We're out of the Test Championship. Who do you drop and slash select? Do you look to the future and the rest of 2023 and onwards, or do you stick with the players that are there?
6: Um, I I like the idea of looking for the future. I think it's harder to, um, you know, we don't don't see and commentate first-class cricket now, so it's harder to know exactly who the players might be. But I do like, I mean, Latham is going to be around. he's He's played 70 tests. He's going to be around for a long time. Um, so who, who do you look for? Um, I, I like the idea of looking for the future. You know, the worst thing that this New Zealand side could do is is, is muscle up against the Sri Lankan side when they come here with uh, with the same players, not experiment a bit, and you know that's a, that's a golden opportunity in my uh, eyes against a weak side to experiment and to bring some players into the test environments and i really do think new zealand had to look to do that people would have to be uh, lower their expectations a little bit around results and be fair about that uh but you know the 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 worst thing in a way that can happen is sri lanka come here new zealand smashed them off the park and really we're not making progress and and that's the point so i think that uh you know Ronnie, here is Point is, is, a, is a really good one. We should be looking against uh, against Sri Lanka to bring in and blood a few players and give them an opportunity against a side that is not performing particularly well at the moment.
2: Yeah, 100% agree with uh, both you and, and Ronnie on that because, I mean, you look at the age profile of our team, and even the, the younger guys in inverted commas in this team are 30. You know, Devin Conway, Tom Latham. Uh, I know Kane uh, is is sort of, he's still not, uh, you know, he's, he's still 30. Coming up, thirty-three Nichols is about the same age, but really everybody, the the whole team is aging together, which is never a good thing because otherwise, you know, all of a sudden you've got to find instead of having to find two or three players at a time, you're having to find ten.
6: Yeah, and and that's and and I've talked um, on many occasions with Mark Watson on your program about succession, and and one of the things that I've been critical of New Zealand cricket for is, is is looking at what is the succession plan, and I just don't see it, and and so you know, are we going to see uh, something like that being brought in against uh, the Sri Lankan side? It, I mean, it's hard because, you, you know, you always want to pick your best players and test cricket. And I think, you know, up until the last uh, 12 to 18 months, New Zealand have had a, a really wonderful run. And, uh, you know, I, I don't lose sight of that in making the criticisms that I'm making at the moment. But... Um, like all of these things they things go in cycles and uh, at the moment I, you know i think the thing you've got to be looking at is what how is new zealand going to get out of the slump you know I, I don't really measure new zealand's performance against uh the weaker test nations i think you know the way that we measure them is against sites like australia england and india they're they're, the, they're kind of the top three in test cricket in my view and i think uh, you want to see New Zealand being competitive. And you'll remember the series uh, in Australia a couple of years ago where New Zealand were absolutely hammered by Australia. They were beaten 3-0 by England uh, in the UK, and they've just been beaten very badly by England in their home condition. So, uh, you know, I-, I think when you see sides starting to perform in that way, you you possibly have to have a little less loyalty to some of the players and say, right, we're going to bring in some other players, and we're really going to we- we're going to, to make some changes, freshen things up, Uh, And you might also start to look at the coaching environment as well and think to yourself, well, um, is, it, is, it, is it still working under Gary Stead? Are we seeing enough uh, change or are we just doing the same thing and getting the same results? And I think that's a question that people have got to start to ask as well now.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you on that too. I mean, Gary Stead uh, is, is, you know, knows cricket. He's He's got a lot of um, IP, if you like, but he is, as you've said, uh, New Zealand cricket in general, both with him and David White at the helm tend to be very conservative, make very conservative decisions, which is completely at odds with some of the players we've produced who have then gone on to become very good coaches. You know, you've got guys like, uh, Andre Adams, who's now working with the Australian Test team as a bowling coach, Daniel Vittori is doing that. Baz Ball, uh, we're on the we're on the receiving end of it at the moment. You know, uh, surely you would think that they would go, well, hang on, this is what we've produced. Uh, we can't keep hold of it because we don't have the money, but it's the right direction rather than you know being stuck in. I guess for
6: me, it feels like 1990s style cricket. Well, McCullum has shown them exactly what you can do, hasn't he? And mm-hmm. and in fairness, you know, he, he he demonstrated that as a captain as well. He changed the way that New Zealand played the game. He took sledging out of it. Uh, you know, he made a stand on that. But few, and you remember the Aussies were appalled by it. But I, I think McCullum's stand was absolutely right. Um, he also uh, brought uh, an aggression into the game when New Zealand were playing, and he brought a style of captaincy. That meant that New Zealand were prepared to risk losing tests in order to win them, and it was very successful for New Zealand. I don't see that approach in the current environment. I think they've done, they've done well on the back of what McCullum and Mike Hesson did, and now when questions are starting to be asked, uh, you know they rode that wave, and and fair enough, it was a wonderful to watch, and you know a fantastic part of New Zealand cricket history, but the question is what's happening now, and uh, and, and and those are the things that I just don't see the sort of things that give me the confidence. That we're going to we're going to be able to smash our way out of this or break our way out of this. I thought, you know, the New Zealand side looked really timid against England, and that's something I, I don't like saying. It's not a nice word to use about a New Zealand side that prides itself on standing up. You know, I, it was nice to see Mitchell getting runs in the second innings. I thought he batted very well. Conway batted pretty well in the first innings as well, but there was a timidity about New Zealand and. Also, as I say, I thought it was very strange to see Wagner with the new ball. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. And those 11 overs that he bowled in the second innings are the most expensive, you know, first 11 overs by a bowler in test cricket. And that's quite some record. And again, he didn't seem to have the ability to change. He was going short. England were, were pulling and hooking at the start. And because of the slightly varied bounce in the pitch, uh, they, they, they changed their strategy. And that will be McCullum and Stokes saying, right, this is how we're going to play him today. So they had him down the ground. They flat batted them, uh, you know, like tennis shots. And it was incredibly successful. But Wanya didn't seem to have a plan B. And the other thing that we've talked about with him, having seen him in Karachi in those three three tests against Pakistan, and it's been confirmed over here in New Zealand conditions, his pace is really about 125 to 128 k's an hour. It's not quick enough now. And uh, in New Zealand, they're going to get found out, I'm afraid. They'll play him in the next test. They'll play him against South Africa, I'm sure. But I think his days are numbered.
2: Garth, just quickly before we let you go, mate, a question that I've asked a couple of people. Nobody seems to have an out and out answer. I don't know if you'll be able to help us at all either. But um, Lockie Ferguson, is he not considered a test bowler?
6: No, I don't think he is. Um, and it, 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 it's an interesting thing because, again, I mean, he has played a test or two, hasn't he, or a few? Um, I you know I think they will probably be nervous about um, his, his being injury prone I think they very much see him as being part of the white ball setup and don't want to use him in both parts and I think it's a shame because uh, you know he does add he does have that little sparkle and that ability to hurry players up and when you see a side like England attacking against uh, New Zealand in the way that they have one of the reasons that they're able to do it, they're able to come down the pitch to the quicks that there isn't a lot of pace there i know that you know Cougarline and tickner at times got up over 140 uh but they're able to go at Southie and uh, and wagner who are in that 130 125 to 130 pace so and you know some raw pace would be helpful but i don't think new zealand have the confidence that ferguson is going to get through you know a test match without being injured you know he needs to bowl before he's in that sort of position a lot of overs in first class cricket I'd suggest before you were satisfied that he could do that day in, day out but it does seem that they've got a really strong preference to play him in the white ball and that might be at the loss of test cricket
2: Alright Garth, I mean ahead of uh, Wellington, how many changes do you actually think we'll see to the 11?
6: Two um, I, you know, <laughs> Well I think we should see two, uh, as I say, I mean, you obviously don't do anything with Latham and Williamson. Back them because they're quality test players um, you're not going to, you, you're going to see Conway in there. I think you've got to, got to remove Nichols now. I can't see it, the base for him playing at Wellington. And so that's when, as you and I were just talking about, you you either bring in uh, Young or you bring in Phillips. And I think my preference would be to give Phillips a go. He's only played one test. He got 52 against Australia and a duck in the second innings. But he's he's been waiting for a long time. And I think he's probably worth a go. Uh, the more conservative option will be the one that we talked about, where they go for young, and 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 we'll get a we'll get a clue really out of out of whether they are prepared to take a risk in that. Uh, the other thing is that Henry will come in, and I think that Cougarline will probably drop out, and they'll stick with Tickner again. Um, so two changes for me: Nichols out and uh, Cougarline out. Henry and Phillips in. Mm, all right, good stuff, Garth. Thanks very much
2: for your time, mate. Uh, hopefully, we're having better conversations about New Zealand cricket next time I talk to you.
6: Yeah, look, it's all good. I mean, I you know again, um, I I don't want to be too you know depressed or down about it. But I just want to see things that you know to see change being made and to have confidence that actually uh, there are things being done that are going to try and turn things around. It's hard when you're not, you know when you're playing against a side like this and you haven't got confidence. But um, that's when you see a true test of character, isn't
2: it? Yeah, it is. It is. I tell you, actually, the other thing is uh, be interested to see if Wagner survives. Um, after, after all of that, he is 37. Shortly, I mean, if they are going to
6: think about the future, now's the time. No chance they'll drop him. Absolutely no chance at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hope I'm I hope I'm wrong because I wouldn't mind it, and I don't mean again to be critical of ben, that He's been he's been great, but I do think I said after the Pakistan series over there, I think his days are numbered. And I, you know, but I think they'll um they just feel too vulnerable. They'll keep picking him, unfortunately. Mm,
2: good stuff. All right, Garth, thanks very much for your time. Uh, Seventeen past four here Sunday afternoon on SENZ. It's 4.21 here on SENZ Sunday afternoon. Update from the Warriors, it's 12.6 now to the Storm with about 20 minutes to go in that one. Will Warbrick, the uh, former New Zealand Sevens player, uh, has scored uh, for the Storm. A great try down the wing. Uh, so, yeah, that, good to see that. Uh, joining us now out of uh, Sydney is Louis Herman Watt, who's over there for sale, GP. And, mate, have you, did you take the cyclone with you? Apparently it's uh, it's been a shocker over there.
5: Yeah, that's right. I bring the um. I usually bring the heat, but I've also brought the cyclone. Brick dog. Oh, gee whiz! What an absolute menacing hour or so it was yesterday evening. Um, we had an unreal day yesterday. for appears like it was so windy in the harbour, like it really was. I felt a little bit. I was actually almost had like second degree um scared slash nervous energy for the drivers of these catamarans. Like they were going up nearly a hundred kilometres an hour in a choppy Sydney harbour trying to avoid each other, all, all vying for points because the season's at the pointy end of the table. And, man, it was pretty hectic. And then all of a sudden, this uh, big, I guess, lightning storm, windstorm, kind of hit. And I'd just managed to get inside back into the hotel. And um, the footage, you've probably seen it by now, as they were craning the Canadian boat out, which, by the way, is brand new, it just, the wind just turned all the way up to 10 out of 10 on the Richter scale and... Um, man, the wind sail just got completely smashed. Uh, they nearly lost control of the whole thing, and it kind of went through the tech site and has caused a lot of damage, so much that they don't actually have a total read on how much damage in particular has been done to uh, across, the, the I guess, all of the parts that were there in the tech site. Most of the fleet's okay. They left in the water. They decided we will not be trying to get any of the boats out. But as a consequence, no sailing today because... There has been that much damage, and I guess we're waiting to hear now whether the season's going to be delayed. So it has been a wild 48 hours in Sydney, I'll tell you that, Rich.
2: Uh, Well, because when is our GP due here?
5: In, oh, just under a month. Like, yeah, no, in a a month in Littleton. So about the time it takes them to ship the fleet to to Littleton Harbour, set it all up. Uh, We're just waiting to hear. I mean, like, the, the, the the optimist in me...
2: Yes? No, lost him, lost him. Louis is gone, Louis is gone. I can update you from the basketball. Uh, the final series between the Cairns Taipans and the Sydney Kings. Uh, it is early, uh, just uh, towards the end of the first quarter, a couple of minutes left of the first quarter, and the Cairns Taipans leading 18 14 at the moment in that one. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, that will, uh, well, that. The winner of this will play, hopefully, the breakers if they can get through the Jack Jumpers uh, in the series, which uh, tips off at six o'clock. Um, coming up after four uh, after four thirty, we're going to cross to uh, commentary of Australia versus India out of India as well. News that uh, David Warner is not playing uh, the rest of the Test match. Uh, but that uh, he's been replaced by Travis Head. Had a couple of texts wanting through. Uh, I feel sorry for the debutantes that's talking about the Black Caps. They did OK, all things considered. They shouldn't be blamed for their selection. Building depth shouldn't be a baptism of fire. Too little, too late, and a poorly conceived selection scramble. Worrying. Yeah, I think that's probably the thing, isn't it? Everybody in this team, as I said, uh, with Garth Galloway, is kind of around the same age. You know, they're all between... Well, you know, you've got Wagner at the top end at nearly 37, and and then just about everybody else is in their early 30s. Uh, They're all ageing together. And so the changes to the squad um, really are all going to happen at the same time. So now is the time to get guys like Glenn Phillips, uh, you know, in there and uh, potentially Lockie Ferguson or, you know, bring Matt Henry back into things or Ben Lister, as Garth said. Uh, Robbie, uh, your take on what you think should happen in Wellington?
7: Yeah, uh,
3: I'm. I'm not. I'm not a hundred. I when when Garth was talking, I'd actually forgotten about uh, Matt Henry coming back into the squad. So that mm. that'll be nice. Um, but yeah, I think Jacob Duffy should have played. Um, so I I would bring in Duffy for Tickner as well as Henry for Kugelheim Yeah. Just just to try something a bit different as well. Like if they are gonna pick Wagner for a bit of bounce, I feel like Kugelheim and tickner, honestly, are kind of doing the same thing?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you know, uh, to be honest, I, I never would have picked Kugeline anyway. I think there's a, a lot better bowlers around than him and plus a few other issues, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think you'd bring Duffy in uh, and and bring Henry in and, you know, and drop Wagner. Um, I think probably the way forward, but we will see. We'll see what the, uh, the, the great minds do. This is us for Sunday afternoon on ECNZ. Enjoy the cricket.